What's up? It's Mark here. Let me talk What's up, my fantasy affairians? It's Burke here, welcoming you into another fabulous edition of the Fantasy Football Affairs Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, Eric Burkholder6. Be sure to give my co-host, Bradley Stickler, a follow at FFBourbonDude. We are going to continue our Dynasty Theory series here with a little bit of practice, man. We're going to put theory to practice. So we have broken down checkboxes. We have talked about how to identify whether you're a pretender or contender. Um, We have kind of dabbled into how to turn around a rebuild, and we are going to break down one of Brad's teams here, uh, one of his love joys that he has talked to me about for the last three months, non-ending. We all have that one league we always key in on. Maybe you play in one league, maybe you play in two, maybe you play in 30, maybe you play 100, and you're crazy. Uh, I'm sitting around 12. Brad, how many teams you got? Uh, Jesus, eight dynasty, uh, four fastballs. Best balls and three redraft, I think, is what I'm at right now. You got three redraft at this time of year? I do. Yeah, it's three just that we do every year. So, I mean, no, we haven't drafted yet, but it's a given okay. that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, that answers the question, though. Yeah, so he's got eight, and this is the one that he's been keying on. We all have that one that's a project. Uh, he had some injuries early. And in the season in 2020, and he thought he was a contender, and he's turned it around. He's made a whole bunch of moves. I'm going to. You know, start this off with saying that each trade a dynasty manager makes cannot be dissected by itself. Okay, there are ways to turn a team around, and you have to start by creating action and generating a market. And the first trade that goes through sets the market. It's just like a free agent, first guy at the position that gets paid, sets the market for the other guys at the position. So, you may not agree with all his moves. You may love some of them. Some of them feel a little unrealistic. So we are going to try and give you the context behind them because that's true in every dynasty league. We got that trade that goes through that you think is dog shit. And the fun part about this this game that we play is only time will tell. So, Brad, why don't you walk us in here on 2020, how you thought the outlook was, and your roster construction. Actually, start us at the beginning. Tell us the roster settings and the scoring settings for this league and how many teams. Yeah, so it's a full point PPR super flex tight end premium, uh, 12-team league, couple years old, not super old in this one. It hasn't been going a long time, but, uh, you know, made the decision two years ago to really set myself up for success. We talked about 
two shows ago how we think two years is enough to be able to be in there. So that's what I was targeting. Last year, I had, per, I had obtained five firsts, looked at, okay, next year, you know, 2020 season, I'm not winning. So I need to figure out how to make this work to where in 2021, I can compete. And I don't want to compete as the five or six seed. If you listened in a few nights ago, I want to be at a one, two, or three seed. I want to be in the running for that championship and not necessarily be waiting on or hoping for something good for me to happen in, in the playoffs. So coming into the season, I, I don't have a lot of strengths, right? I've got some starting quarterbacks, which is always good in a super flex. I got Matthew Stafford. I got Kirk Cousins. I got Sam Darnold. Nothing strong, but nothing it's a serviceable starting lineup from a quarterback position running back is where it gets rough. I've got one top running back, one of my favorites in the league. You guys have heard me talk about him. It was Nick Chubb. And then I've got a bunch of smashed ass behind it. David Johnson, <laughs> Marlon Mack, Rashad Penny, carry on Johnson, Keyshawn Vaughn. So that is. Hold up. This is going into 2020. This is going into 2020. So Nick Chubb should have had the rushing record, a rushing lead, or at least was close to it in 2019. Yep. David Johnson was still a member of the Cardinals, but when he gets traded to Houston, you got to like the bump. Yep. Okay. So that's essentially your RB3. And your RB2 at the time, although they drafted Jonathan Taylor, which puts just a wrench in your plans, is Marlon Mack. He's still going to be involved. Keyshawn Vaughn had some hype. So going into 2020 with Stafford still on the Lions pass heavy. Cousins playing for a team with uh, questionable defense because they drafted so many guys. And Darnold hoping that he pulls his head out of his ass in New York. You have a one in either Stafford or Cousins, a low-end one, a high-end two in either Stafford or Cousins. At running back, you got Nick Chubb, who, look, he's a top-12 guy. I don't think people are really going to argue that. But Brad's love for Chubb. If you have Kamara, he's like, (laughs) fuck it, I got Chubb. right? If you got Delvin Cook, he's like, it's only one week. I got Chubb. That's right. So he's got a one. He's got his two, three, and David Johnson, Marlon Mack, and Keyshawn Vaughn trying to piece it together. So fast-forwarding past the offseason 2019 and the whole 2020 season, that's not fair because going into the year, if the if the the uh, Colts don't draft Jonathan Taylor, God forbid Marlon Mack's injury sucked. But, yep. dude, Marlon Mack was a solid-ass RB2. Yep, uh, totally break down your wide receivers. Too. Yes, this, this is the strength here, but, again, context. Context, because there's a key, few guys on this list that flopped that was surprising and a few guys that rose. So talk to us about your wide receivers. Yeah, so going in, I think I got a surefire wide receiver one in Allen Robinson. A wide receiver two, I'm thinking is Cooper Cup, right? He's my guy. He's going to be in that 15 to 20 range with the potential of, you know, what was a wide receiver two a few seasons ago, something crazy like that. Four so five, wide yeah. receiver four. Uh, then I've got Marquise Brown, who I love, Jarvis Landry, who, who's just old dependable, but he's coming off a little bit of an injury, so you're not quite – there's some question marks there. Deontay Johnson, which you saw some some uh, success from in previous seasons, and then a bunch of unknowns at this point, Russell Gage, Hunter Renfro, Colin Johnson, K.J. Hill, and a couple of rookies in Gabriel Davis, who I loved coming out of the draft. And Brian Edwards, another one that I really loved coming out of the draft. So here I'm going in, I'm thinking I've got an okay wide receiver core. They're not super old at this point. 26, 27 is the oldest wide receiver I've got. So I'm not past that age apex on anybody that I'm looking that I need to move 
because in two years when I want to compete in 2021, I think all these guys are still in their prime and able to be able to help me help me progress on. So so that's the wide receiver core and all the context around that. Is that that close that out pretty good, Eric? You get any questions about that one? No, I'm just going to reiterate it. Uh, talk to about your tight ends and then the true strength, which is those future first. Yeah, for sure. So my tight ends, I've got Mike Gesicki, who, you know, you watch and you see how athletic he is. You see the upside that he could bring in. They bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you're thinking, oh, a guy who likes to throw the ball. There could be some upside there. Okay, I'm okay with that. He's not a he's in that, you know, anybody other than Darren Waller, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey realm right any of those guys you're good with and i've got blake jarwin who got a ton of hype coming into dallas ton of it so i'm really excited about him and then drew sample young guy for the cincinnati Bengals that i saw some promise for and was kind of hoping to get a little bit more out of him and then the strength of the team that really gave me the foundation that i needed to be where i am now are five 2021 firsts Looking at those teams coming into the 2020 season, the five teams that I got those firsts from, I'm seeing those as two early firsts, top three, two mid firsts, probably in that seven to eight, seven, eight, seven to nine range, and then one fairly late, uh, you, you know, 11 or 12 kind of time frame. Uh, so again, 12 team league, it's a tight end premium. It's not super premium. So it's just 0.5 extra for tight ends. So with Mike Kosicki, who has that, I mean, he's a, he's a top eight guy, top 10 guy, whatever. He's got that, that connection with Tua coming in. Uh, he still has connection with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Jarwin was incredibly hyped at the tight end position. Uh, Blake uh, Dalton Schultz, Schultz, who took over for him, ended up as tight end eleven. So the hype was real because that offense was fantastic. And Dak Prescott was hurt most of the year. So he's doing that with Andy Dalton and company at quarterback. So his tight ends are solid. It's a 12-team league, so there's only 12-1. So theoretically, if the, if the shit's spread out right, everybody has a QB1, RB1, wide receiver 1. The thing about dynasties, you'll see these teams built that have two or three guys in the top 10. So you really need a stone-cold stud and good value to catch them as they make their title run. He said this is year three or four. So quarterback, Stafford, Cousins, Darnold. You're hoping for a one-two and then Darnold for bye weeks. That's solid. Running backs, he's got Nick Chubb. That's his one. Then he's hoping to piecemeal together with David Johnson, Marlon Mack, Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, he still has Kyrion Johnson. Remember DeAndre Swift was just drafted, so there was still some love there. And Rashad Penny, who has just been a bust due to injury. But he's got a one at quarterback. He's got a one at running back. At wide receiver, has got Allen Robinson. That's a one. Cooper Cup has one upside. Jarvis Landry's a two. Hollywood and Deontay, you're hoping they're your three, four. So he feels good going into the season with five firsts. Now, early in the year, because he has Dak uh, early in the year, walk us through your goals for the season uh, because you have those first five first round picks. So you don't necessarily have to sell out for a win. I know some people would absolutely do that. I think I would have been tempted to try and flip a bunch of those first in 2021 to get a win now team. Cause you have Chubb, you have Allen Robinson, you have Stafford, you have stability. You're just a couple pieces away from having one of those really good teams, but not necessarily elite. So what were your goals going into the season? <laughs> Talk to me about the first few weeks and you know what, how you try to recover. So my goals in season were, 
you know, I was a little behind the curve, I'll say. I wasn't quite prepared with all of the COVID stuff and everything to to make the moves pre-2020 draft. And we all know once the draft happens, those players are untouchable for the value that you're going to get. There's an immediate value spike, right? You can look at it this year. Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, those guys are worth three times the amount that it costs people to draft them. So I said, okay, I'm going to stick with my 521 first, and I'm going to say, let's figure out how to make this team a contender in 2021. What do I need to do? I want to hold those firsts, but I want to gain a little bit of value everywhere on my roster if I can, right? I'm, as I said earlier, I feel pretty good about my wide receiver core in the next two years to develop. I expect Deontay Johnson to develop. I expect Marquise Brown to develop. And Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry are three great wide receivers to have on your squad, and they're in their prime. The other positions I'm a little worried about, right? You're looking at the quarterback position, and, you know, we talked about not looking at it through rose-colored glasses. Yes, Stafford could be the guy, could be great. In hindsight, we like his situation, but before you look at it in the 2020 season, you got Kenny Galladay up for contract and you have Marvin Jones up for contract. So now what's that team look like at that point, right? There's a lot of variables. Kirk Cousins, he's on a run first team. Yeah, he's going to give you some weeks that are good, but he's going to lose you some weeks also. And then Sam Darnold, nobody really likes, right? Nobody expects him to be able to really be a usable asset. So quarterback position for me was something I wanted to get a little bit younger at and something that I wanted to make sure that I gained a little bit of value in season with at least perceived value from my end. And then obviously the tight end position, if I can move and, and gain some tight end value in season, that would be great. And then the big key is running back. I don't know without moving picks how you can really gain those running backs in season because they are extremely expensive. So I wanted to take a little bit of a timed approach. I wanted to go quarterback first before they started to get into their rhythm. And I already had a couple targets in mind that I wanted to go do. Then I was going to try to flip some of that value into a running back and then go take a look at the tight end position. And you'll see I was able to do that for the most part with a little bit of variables as we go through the trades. Yeah, so we broke down his team, and he definitely has hope. He definitely has hope. And even as things broke down, like how Deontay Johnson broke out, dude, you know, that was solid as hell. If Cooper Cup had stepped his game up and Jarvis Landry didn't have a broken hip and then playing a monsoon forever, he would have been fine. He also had Russell Gage on his team who broke right. So he still had hope with five future firsts. It's very important to put names to those picks. You can't necessarily project out where the pick's going to fall, but if he was a little ahead uh, in his scouting process and didn't want to get NFL guys this year, you see three, four quarterbacks coming out in the 2021 draft class. It is the year of the quarterback. So if he had ridden this out and just kept his core and been able to draft a guy, now you can move Cousins or Darnold with a value spike and get your quarterback young because he wanted to get younger. All right, so it's it's interesting. It's interesting to me. Now, he only has the one running back, so he knows his chances of winning this year are kind of slim. So you don't necessarily want to sell out, right, because you still want to have a core of guys. He already has five firsts. What the hell are you going to ask for? This might have been a good opportunity to attack the 2023 class. But then you get one of those young treadmills, those productive struggles where everybody's really young, 
right? Because he's drafting five guys in 2021. As much as we love the draft class, even if it's all Devonta Smith and Javante Williams and shit like that, he's so young. He keeps pushing his window out. So he decides to go get some vets. I also know that Bradley loves to see it on the NFL field. Like we've talked about Najee Harris pretty extensively because oh, both man. of us, like, we're like, we don't exactly know how to value the guy. In a redraft league or the Scott Fishbowl or whatever, I'm like, he's top 12, right? Based off volume. And that's the narrative. And we hate that. And it's like, yeah, I think he is. But both of us, I kind of want to see it. I believe a little more than he does, but it's a skepticism. It's a skepticism. You want to see the guy in his jersey on game day do the right things. It's a different game in the NFL. So he's going to try and turn those first and his team in season into a semi-contender with some future draft capital. Uh, things a little, a little, little side went a little sideways on you weeks one through six. Yeah, weeks one through six were rough, right? And I, and I expected this, right? Out of what I knew, I wasn't going to be a contending team in this season. So I was okay with that. But it did drive me to be a little bit more targeted with who I'm going at with trades at this point. So I did start the season 0-6 before I got my first win. But in those six weeks were a plethora of moves that we're going to kind of work through and talk about context and why I did some of them that I wanted to do. So the first move was right after week one. Right. So I'm a big time Cleveland Browns fan. I know guys in my league are low on Odell Beckham. I know they love Jarvis Landry, and I have Jarvis. So they come out in the first week. I see Odell has 10 targets in week one, and Jarvis has six. So I'm able to go in and talk to the guy who is the Odell owner, who I know likes Jarvis Landry more than Odell Beckham. I am still a believer in Odell Beckham. I believe he has the upside of top five wide receiver at this point. So this is where your feelings and your metrics and all the stuff that you look at matter. So I took that and was able to go and, and move Jarvis Landry straight up for Odell Beckham at the beginning of week one. And it looked like it was the right move because as you go through before Odell had his injury, he had 39 targets to Jarvis Landry's 25 targets. So it looked like it was the right move at the time. So I was pretty happy with that. And, I, you know, injury hurts. But again, I wasn't looking to compete that season. I was looking for a person that I can get that I think could see a spike in value at some point throughout the season. So pre-injury, you were able to trade Jarvis Landry for Odell Beckham straight up. Correct. I don't I don't know a lot of leagues that would go down because the upside of Odell is so high. So the buyer has to think that they don't need upside. They need security because the security of Jarvis Landry is fantastic. His floor is very high and his ceiling. He does have a wide receiver two season on his resume. Does he not? I mean, he has one of those top few wide receiver one seasons. Jarvis does. Uh, I meant, I meant overall, let me check him real quick. Um, But yeah, his floor is very high. He has that, that connection with Baker Mayfield from the year prior. Absolutely. Um, it's fantastic. No, he had a six and an eight. He's got a six and an eight. So his upside is pretty high, right? At that point, he was getting 160 targets, though. Yeah, so it was based off volume. The year before, he had 138. The year before that, 149. So even when he moved to Cleveland, he still was getting peppered. Uh, yep. I just think it's bold. Somebody wanted out of Odell. but So he trades Landry for Odell. 
to give him that upside because he knows he's a little behind the eight ball, but he still wants to compete. Uh, he's a Browns fan, so he watches the games. Odell looked good. They had, a, they had a tough time getting him the ball, but he ran around well. Yep. Well, and you got to think, right? A lot of people were looking at it as a sell high, right? That, you know, you look at the owner, the Odell owner, he's thinking he pulled one over on me, which he very well may have. It's the, I, I would say the jury's still out on it, right? But to me, I'm getting great value on a guy that has name brand and the potential to blow up any given week. So you can use that to your advantage. Odell Beckham, all his wide receiver one seasons, and now it's the Odell Beckham of old putting up huge games. Now I can move him for some youth for future seasons. Okay, and Odell was healthy during your run. You did get that week four pop, man, against Dallas where he had a ton of points. You still were not able to pull out the win. That is heartbreaking. Uh, So once it's kind of established, this is how the season's going, it looks like you move for a youth movement, get some hot names from the 2019 draft class. Walk us through the next couple moves uh, because it's very clear that you had a plan set out at this point. Yeah, so now I'm I'm looking after week one, it was a pretty bad defeat. So I'm thinking, okay, now, now I really need to try to use this to my advantage a little bit. Hey, guys, I'm in a rebuild. I want to go try to make some moves. So I know a lot of guys loved Miles Sanders in this league moving forward. And a lot of guys were questioning the workload of Nick Chubb because of Kareem Hunt. So I was able to move. And at face value, I think this looks rough until you realize a couple weeks later, as you start to chain these things together, there's some value to be added. So, Eric, I hear you say it all the time. You don't have to win every trade. It's about the long term and what you're going to do to chain those things together to put yourself in a position to win. So this next offer, I ended up moving Nick Chubb and Cooper Cup for Miles Sanders and Debo Samuel. Now, again, there's context, right? Because you can think of it right now and be like, oh my God, there's no way I would take that. And I don't disagree with you right now. If somebody offered you that trade, obviously you're not going to take it. But you got to think about the fact that Miles Sanders was coming off a pretty decent season last year. He had two excellent weeks where he was getting eight. To, he, he had, I believe it was 20 and 18 carries and had over five targets both of those games. He was getting a ton of volume. And like I said, I knew some others were really high on Miles Sanders. So I figured I can get him and be able to flip him for some youth actual youth movement instead of you know Miles Sanders is what 24 years old right now so I'm I'm looking at even younger than that I want a a rookie running back out of Miles Sanders at some point so and and as we'll see in a couple trades that we're going to talk about I'm able to do that so I was also at this point really 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 high on Debo Samuel he had not played a game yet So I'm thinking I'm getting Debo Samuel at a discount with the Cooper Cup, who, if you look at metrics, is not really a great wide receiver. He doesn't create a lot of separation. He's not a great route runner. There's a lot of things that point to him as a not great wide receiver on the on the field, but he always produces. That's the tough part, right? So I decided to go with the metrics of my gut on this one and take that Miles Sanders and Debo Samuel side of that. Yeah, Debo in that Super Bowl run. 
became a hot commodity, man. He was fantastic. Miles Sanders with his five or six game sample size was a one. Going into the season, you couldn't get Debo or Miles. Debo breaks his foot. So he's trying to get ahead of the curve here with Debo for Cup to get more of a physical specimen, the same kind of upside at a discount and youth. Okay. And then Miles Sanders for Chubb, that, that could go either way. Remember, Kareem Hunt is still in Cleveland. We didn't know they were going to give Chubb the ball until the game was over and let Kareem Hunt clean up whatever was left. Like, we didn't know how this was going to shake out. <laughs> yep. um, so it looks like a fairly solid move at the time. Uh, you, of course, th- those naysayers out there are always going to be like, you should have got a pick thrown in or whatever. But he got younger at both position for two hot items. He's got the five future first. He got the upside in Odell. So he's got his upside at wide receiver. He gets younger at running back. Younger at his aging slot guy for a different slot guy. And then moves on and attacks this, this quarterback position that he brought up. Now he wants to get younger. He wants to shoot for upside. He's got one very particular name in mind. If you'll notice, he may or may not be a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> Baker Mayfield is a rookie coming in after Tyrod got benched. Set NFL records for touchdown passes for a rookie. One of the things you'll notice is the record was broken by a man that took over for Tyrod Taylor. So Davis Mills alert. That man might set (laughs) records for touchdown passes by rookie. But Baker's upside was huge. Then they asked him, who do you want to be the coach? He said, my offensive coordinator, Freddie Kitchen. That was was a blunder that no one will ever understand. Yeah, it was bad. Stefanski comes in, first year in the system. Baker's being efficient. He's having a tough time hitting Odell, but you can see the upside and you know it's growing pains. Not only does he have a new coach and a new system, but he's doing it without an offseason. Like they didn't get to practice and he's not the kind of guy that's technically sound. He plays with feel, you know, and you expect him to grow, which he did towards the end of the year. So walk us through the, the next couple plays until we get past week six. Yeah, so so the next one is exactly what you're talking about. I move. I wanted to get that quarterback move. I wanted to secure a young quarterback that I believed in, and I watched enough Baker Mayfield. I definitely had some questions. Right, he was missing some open throws on rollouts that are typically his strong suit. There were some indications that he could be a failure. I get that, but I was willing to take the chance here because. Yeah, I'm a homer and it's dynasty. I'm in it to have fun. I want to be able to root for my team for multiple reasons, right? So I was Don't hedge your bet. You think Baker Mayfield is a top eight quarterback, and that's fine. Baker he could Mayfield be. Is number is my number eight dynasty quarterback. Yeah, right so now. you that's think you're stealing right now. You give up cousins in a first. It's the first that you think is the latest. You have five of them. Yep. Right? We're coming up on week six. So you can kind of project it out. Yep. And you get way younger. We know what Kirk Cousins is. Kirk Cousins in Washington was borderline elite. Kirk Cousins on the run first, stubborn old old man head coach, Minnesota Vikings, is wide receiver 14 to 12. So you shot upside, and all you had to give up was a first for all those three years. And, you know, you can say that, you know, it was the right move. Baker Mayfield was PFF's third-rated quarterback last season from, like, week six on or something like that. So, I mean, he proved – 
that after he got comfortable in that Kevin Stefanski offense, that he can be a valuable asset to your dynasty team and to the Cleveland Browns. So, so I'm pretty happy with that move. And Baker is still on my team. I, I didn't look to move him anymore. I, I just wanted to get some of that youth that I think could attain or ascend in value, right? We talked about that last week. Whereas Kirk Cousins is what he is. He's not gaining value at any point in time in the remainder of his career. He's going to finish out. He's a great quarterback to have on your squad. You know what you're getting. Baker has that potential to rise in value where you can move him for even more pieces later on. So I was pretty happy with it. So the next one is building on to that Miles Sanders acquisition from the trade before. And I said, but hey, I know there's a lot of guys that are super high on Miles Sanders. And he had, again, some excellent weeks early on in the season. So I packaged a couple wild cards. I took Marquise Hollywood Brown, Mike Gesicki, and Miles Sanders. So different positions. And I was able to find a suitor who really loved Miles Sanders and had a running back that I wanted that was not helping this individual at the time because it's J.K. Dobbins. And he was just not touching the ball early on in, in the season. So I was able to move Miles Sanders, Hollywood Brown, and Mike Gesicki for J.K. Dobbins. Preston Williams, and Mark Andrews. So now I just address two of the positions that I talked about earlier. I get, I see a perceived rise in value in tight end, a perceived rise in value at the running back position, where I also think that that asset is going to ascend in value, and a wild card in Preston Williams, who before he got hurt was a, a pretty solid player on the team. He played really well in 2019. I was, I was happy to get him as a throw in on that. So right around this time, there are some other things that are playing into this Miles Sanders move. You're starting to get those, those whispers about Carson Wentz being benched. And now you start to think, okay, well, if Carson Wentz is benched, who's coming in? How's that going to affect the run game? A lot of people thought it was going to be a positive thing if they benched Carson Wentz and went to Jalen Hurts because of the rushing upside, how they felt that was going to help Miles Sanders. I am not a believer in Jalen Hurts, so I did not have that perception. So I was more than happy to move Miles Sanders on the idea that, hey, not only is he playing great, but just think about what it's going to be like if Carson Wentz gets benched and Jalen Hurts is the incoming quarterback. That's going to help Miles Sanders. So I was able to flip some of those narratives around and add some value and get a top five tight end, a very nice asset at the time. And J.K. Dobbins as the running back, who at that time, you know, maybe he was, you know, RB 15 to 20 range in Dynasty. And you see him ascend in value again because he's a rookie running back on an excellent offense. So you expect that value to rise as well. So pretty happy with that trade as well. Yeah. Miles for JK. Okay. Dobbins scored two touchdowns in week one. Everybody freaked out. When's he going to take over the reins? Mark Ingram is still there. So he had two touchdowns in week one. Through week six, he had 25 combined carries. He just simply yep. wasn't playing. The writing was on the wall. He looked like the best back, but he just wasn't playing because they wanted to give the old guys their due. Baltimore is about respect. They show respect and they build it through the locker room. So J.K. Dobbins for Miles Sanders, I think, is a smash play because you got a guy that can play on all three downs. 
And if he had gone to any other team, it might have been more hype, might have been less hype. But there would have been less security because it's the only team in the NFL that runs the scheme he had in college. Kosicki for Mark Andrews. I don't think anyone's going to take Mike Kosicki there. You swapped out Hollywood Brown, who was 170 pounds soaking wet, for Preston Williams, who's like 6'5", 200-something. It was a wild card for wild card. So I think that is a fantastic play because, again, he gets younger running back. We talked about this last show. Running backs gain more value from their rookie year to their sophomore year, regardless of whatever the fuck they did, than they do any other year of their career. So he gets an instant value spike no matter what J.K. does. He gets an upgrade at tight end. He swaps out. He swaps out wild cards. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And then the next move is around that running back position again. So, so there was some back and forth with a guy that I talked to all the time in this league. There was a lot of talk. He really liked Deontay Johnson. It's like, well, I, you know, I'd love to increase. I'd love to try to get a pick. I'd love to try to move on a running back right now. And this was right at, you know, soon after DeAndre Swift dropped his, his touchdown pass in the end zone in week one. He got virtually no work uh, because Adrian Peterson was getting it all. So the owner was a little worried. So I was able to move Debo Samuel, Deontay Johnson, and KJ Hill. Complete throw in for JD McKissick, DeAndre Swift, and a 21 first that was valued somewhere in the middle of round one. So getting that mid first was huge for me because I wanted to make sure, and I knew I was going to be offloading my early picks for players at the end of the season. I wanted a mid-round pick or a mid-range first-round pick because I wanted Javonta Williams. I knew he was the running back that I wanted. So I, you know, looking at the rookies coming out and where we were projecting and and all that, I thought I could get him in that mid-pick. So I was very happy with getting that because I wanted to move all the other ones. And then Debo came back. I sold him high. Debo come back, got eight targets. And as soon as that game was over, I moved him because he just kept showing that he can't stay healthy. So I I shipped him out as well. And then Deontay getting his 23 targets. He was just a target monster those first couple weeks. It was just a smash play in my eyes again to get a rookie running back and a first in a rebuilding type team and really just giving up wide receivers who are the easiest things to obtain in trades to begin with. This again feels like another smash play. Swift had a 9% snap share in week four or five, 9%. So the dip was just ungodly. Swift for Deontay Johnson. Debo had just come back from his broken foot, looked okay, but he was mediocre, man. He was not popping, and he got a mid-first for a guy coming off injury that was not blowing up. And he got Swift for Deontay Johnson. These things you cannot just do. But midseason, people's opinions change like weekly, maybe daily. Uh, then K.J. Hill is nothing. J.D. McKissick is getting a ton of targets. So we got J.D. McKissick for free. This is why I just want to circle back real quick. Real, real quick. Cousins and a first for Baker. People will go back and forth. I think that's a win. But Cousins, because he got the first back. Cousins, Debo, Deontay for Baker, Swift, McKissick, and he moves up in the first round in a rookie draft. That screams smash. Debo and Deontay for Swift going into the season. No one would have taken that Swift all day. Cousins for Baker 
and he gets to move up in the future draft, nobody would have taken that. But in season, he's making some savvy moves. He is 0-6 at this point. So savvy moves are going to have to pay dividends in the future, my friend, because they are not paying off today. Uh, You got J.K. Dobbins. You still have David Johnson. You don't really have a second running back. You've still got Darnold. Now you have Baker to go with Stafford, so Darnold's expendable. Um, you know, you, you've you've gutted your your wide receiver core a little bit, which I think is fair because wide receivers are more attainable, so they're easier to move in season and much easier to buy off season. And you have this love joy for this this man named Cam Akers. You do, you do. You you. It, it's oh, so man. heartbreaking what happened to him. I wish we had recorded this like three weeks ago because yeah. We wish him the best. I just don't I, – I don't know, man. He's the case study now. I hope yep. he bounces back. He when Adrian that. Peterson came back from his ACL tear, people didn't do that. And he was a man, and I was like, yeah, but this guy – this guy had a – Adrian Peterson had a vertebrae compressed, so they took it out, and he returned to be a running back for like eight more seasons. So I was like, well, he's a special guy. But now you see yep. – ACLs, MCLs, PCLs, they're not that big of a deal. Achilles, we've seen in basketball, Kevin Durant, I think Anthony Davis, as far as, you know, the running back position, there's none. But in the NFL, Emmanuel Sanders had an Achilles. Emmanuel did he Sanders. not? Yep. And he came yep. back dunking on the goalpost, and he's 34 now. So there is hope. Uh, but that's a side piece. So you got this love for Cam Akers. You go get your boy, right? Yeah, I do. So week six is kind of the – this is where I really started to try to be a little more aggressive now because our trade deadline in this league was week eight. It has since been moved to week 13 right before the playoffs start. But now at this point it's week eight. So I've only got a couple weeks left to make sure I'm in a position to make me successful in the off season when I start to move players and picks around. So now I, you know, you talked about Sam Darnold. You talked about me wanting to go get Cam Akers. So I, I started talking to another league mate of mine, a guy that I work with. So I saw him every day at this point. And I was able to move Sam Darnold, J.K. Dobbins, and David Johnson for Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Akers, and Hollywood Brown. So at the time, I think you could say it was a very fair and and equal trade, right? Because you're looking at Darnold to Jimmy G. You're looking at J.K. Dobbins to Cam Akers, who I gave the slight edge to Cam Akers because he was my favorite running back coming out. And then David Johnson and Hollywood Brown, you know, again, youth. I'm I'm trying to get a little bit younger. So getting rid of a a 30-some-odd-year-old, 29-year-old running back for a 24-year-old wide receiver who I think is super explosive is very important and there's some other context around hollywood brown i was i just started to write an article about this guy at this point and i started to get some of the metrics that were happening and things were starting to click with him like i think now's the time to go buy this guy and sure enough you buy him and you see the explosion at the end of the season where he's like the wide receiver i think 11 through the last seven or eight weeks of the season it was a huge huge portion of the season for him he just had everything was pointing in the right direction for him so getting him was perfect for me at this point in time so again it was sam darnold jk dobbins and david johnson for jimmy garoppolo hollywood brown and cam Akers. the dobbins Akers swap people can debate but the bottom line is they're in the same tier at that point in the season 
Yep. Dobbins is hardly playing, but the writing's on the wall. Cam Akers is just straight up not playing, but you loved Cam. Uh, Hollywood for David Johnson is youth and the wide receiver position, which automatically plays longer. So I like that because you can't win anyways. David doesn't help you. And then you get old as hell from Darnold to Jimmy Garoppolo. But if you're going to get old at a position, get old at quarterback because they can play for a long, long time. Uh, Now it looks like you're going to move your boy Odell, who is injured. Oh, no, this is right before he gets hurt. Wow, dude. You stole somebody's lunch money. I did, and I got lucky. It's not like you saw this coming, right? But he had a freak. When they got destroyed by Pittsburgh, he threw one of his, uh, you know, famous temper tantrums. That worried me a little bit because it's a different coaching staff now. They're not the one that brought Dell in, so I've got a little bit of worry. But he's played pretty damn well outside of that game. And the individual that I moved him to may have a tendency to be a little bit more of a box score scouter and a current rankings looker than somebody who looks at the details and realizes, oh, my God, the only reason Odell is like wide receiver 15 or whatever he was at that time is because he had a 40 point game against the Dallas Cowboys where he had three total touchdowns and some crazy yardage. Right. So so I was able to move Odell Beckham. Mark Andrews and a mid first, a projected mid round 21 first, first round pick for Kenny Galladay, Darren Waller, and a second, a 22 second, right? Uh, in a future, future draft class. So, this to me, again, a smash play going from Mark Andrews to Darren Waller, going from Odell to Kenny Galladay, who I thought Galladay at this point. This is where you work some of those contract things into play, right? Okay, well, Kenny Galladay's in a contract season, so you expect to see him rise in value. You think, hey, let's look at the the targets. Marvin Jones was not getting targeted at this point. The two games that they play, or I'm sorry, over a five-game span, they had 19 to 15, and Kenny Galladay only played two of those games. So he was the guy that's getting all the targets from Matthew Stafford at this point. So I saw an opportunity to maybe kind of buy him a little low at this point and move Odell a little high. I am gaining a couple years in age and a guy who's going into a second contract in Kenny Galladay. Now we can argue whether or not that was a good move now at this point, now that we know landing spot. But at that point, a guy in a contract year, that you think has the chance of being franchise tagged or staying with a Matthew Stafford, I think is a pretty good call. So again, I moved Odell Beckham, Mark Andrews, and a mid-21 first for Kenny Galladay, Darren Waller, and a 22 second. Yeah, it's a smash. Odell for Galladay, Odell was hurt. Kenny had just come back. He'd put up four straight double digits, like 14 to 16 points a game. Yep. So it's fantastic. That's, yeah. I would have done that every day of the week. Andrews to Waller, you're losing youth, but you're gaining so much, so many more targets. The thing is, at this point, people don't actually believe in Darren Waller. They're not 100% sold because the sample size is still like, what, 20 games, 25, 22 games, something like that. Yep. Um, the first to the second, again, is, is just gravy on top. Now, this didn't work out quite how you had planned because that 21 first you gave up ended up being 105. And that second you gate you got back, ended up being the 212. So in hindsight, 
I would say it's even because you got Waller and you got Kenny and you moved Andrews in the 105. But you lost Odell for the 212. So this one turned out pretty even in hindsight. But at the time, it's a great play for you because, like you said, Kenny's getting that value bump, right? And you have Matthew Stafford on the team. So once he moved Mike Gesicki, he had Andrews. He had his tight end one. So if he's going to move Andrews and he needs a tight end one back and he gets one. Yep. Yeah. So this is the one that was tough for me because it kind of went against what I was trying to do. Right. And that youth movement. But it was an offer that we had worked out that I just couldn't pass up getting a top tier tight end. Because that was one of my keys, right? Is, hey, at the beginning of the season, I said, I want to make sure I come out with a top-tier tight end. And Andrews could be one of those. But when I got the opportunity to get Waller, I could not pass it up. Could not yeah, pass it Yeah, up. I think both people are happy. This is actually with Matt Reiser at Matty Daddy 2652. I see it written in the show sheet. So I, I'm sure he's <laughs> happy with that. Because Waller to Andrews. Andrews is still a very good tight end. He's very young. It's fantastic. And then he gets the 105 for and and Odell for Kenny in the 212. So that's yeah, I'm sure he's happy in hindsight. Would you trade Walder for the 105? Probably not. It is a tight end premium, but maybe. But that's Najee territory. Yeah. It's Kyle Pitts territory. So probably not. Would you trade Andrews for Kenny Galladay? Probably not. Would you trade Odell for the 212? Probably not. But the context is what's key here. Because yeah. he gets a guy with the Potential boost, they franchise him. If Kenny just plays the rest of the year, I think you're fucking pumped because you can sell him no matter where he goes. But yep. then he just sits out. Darren Waller is a stone-cold stud. Um, that 105 hurts a little bit. But, hey, we'll see. We'll see. Yep. Time will tell. The NFL writes its own history, right? That's right. That's right. All right. Move us on to the next move here before we get into the end of the season. Yeah, so then I, I looked at, okay, so – you know, I've got some, for lack of a better term, trash pieces that I want to try to move. And I want to maybe see some, I may be willing to move a piece that's more valuable, right? So, so Preston Williams was a guy that I saw an opportunity that really just ended up him being dropped from my squad. And I don't ever like dropping players that I traded for, right? That's an immediate loss of value when you do that. So I said, okay, well, how, T Higgins is a wide receiver that I absolutely loved coming out of college. So I reached out to the owner and said, Hey man, T Higgins, you're not competing. I'm not competing. What, what would you like to see for T Higgins? He said, well, I really need a quarterback. That's what he was, he was looking for. So I said, okay, well, I mean, I don't have much to help you. I got Jimmy Garoppolo. I got Baker who I'd really like to hold on to. And I got Stafford. I, I mean, I'd be willing to move him if, if that's something that you want. And he said, absolutely. I, I really like Matthew Stafford. I said, okay, well, what, what would you be willing to give up? So we ended up working out a deal where I gave up Matthew Stafford and Preston Williams for Derek Carr and T Higgins. So again, T Higgins here was for me, the big target, right? He was, a guy who was getting lot, a lot of targets early on. He ended up with 28 targets in the first four, well, the first five games, because the first game was kind of a weird where he played a little bit, but I think he had like a very small snap share in his first game. I don't even know that he got a target in the first game, to be honest. Uh, and I was able to move Preston Williams, who 
just got a hundred yards and a touchdown the the week before this. So I was able to say, hey, look, Preston Williams, I see writing on the wall that the kid's not going to make it past the draft, but selling him on the back of a high, uh, high performing week was the key there. And moving Stafford hurt. I'm not going to lie, but Derek Carr, I'm not looking to compete, but his schedule was juicy the second half of the season. So I'm, this guy had a, a pretty solid team. He's looking to compete. Derek Carr was going to help it, in my opinion, I thought was going to help him compete. So giving him Stafford, who had a much tougher second half schedule than what Derek Carr did, I thought was giving him a little bit of a worse scenario. And part of the reason I was doing that is because I owned his first round pick. So a guy that I already owned his first for, I'm trading with, in in my head, I'm thinking it's probably going to screw him into a worse record, which improves my chances of where that draft pick lies. Yeah, that's awesome. The game within the game. Derek Carr had a better finish than Matthew Stafford last year. Matt has very few weapons. Marvin Jones is aging. Kenny Galladay is a free agent. Derek Carr has Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, right? All still there, and Aguilar is tearing things up, so he's got better weapons. T. Higgins for Preston Williams is a no contest. Matthew Stafford for Derek Carr and T. Higgins, I think I would take today. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And on top of that, the reason you were aggressive about it and moving a stud like Stafford, who again had a worse season than Derek Carr, is because you own his first, and you're double <laughs> dipping. You're yeah. double dipping like a mother. Uh, so fantastic play. It looks like after that, you make a like a micro transaction and move Giovanni Bernard, who got a bump when Mixon went down for Keyshawn Vaughn, who was probably nothing, but going into the season, he was actually a first round draft pick in a ton of super flex leagues. He was definitely a top seventeen draft pick. I mean, the two hundred five Keyshawn Vaughn was gone before that. He absolutely was in Tampa with all that upside and all the love they were showing a uh, showing him pre draft and how he was at Vanderbilt and had a thousand yard season in the SEC and he wasn't great at anything, but he was the best all around back. So Gio for Vaughn in your particular build makes a ton of sense. Now it's week eight. This is it, man. This is the trade deadline. This is it. How in the actual hell did you sell somebody in week eight that this was going to help win them a title, man? Uh, it's, this is tough. It's, it, I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a little tougher. So, um, you know, you always have these weird conversations with people and you just get random trade offers, right? So I got kind of a random trade offer one day and it, they were uh, offering up Jared Goff, uh, Mike Williams, and a first for Jimmy Garoppolo and Allen Robinson. So I would be giving up Jimmy G and A-Rob and be getting Goff, Mike Williams, and a first. And I was like, you know... I. I appreciate it. I am looking for that pick that, that, but I've already got four or five of them at this time. I don't really need the first. So where are you at with other players that you've got just throwing it out there in the ether, right? Just kind of see where his head's at and get an evaluation. I guess rewind, not fast forward, rewind to week two or three. Josh Allen is absolutely lighting the world on fire. This league blew up on the chat saying, this is not the real Josh Allen. 
you better not tra you better trade him now while you can because he's right so this guy is the josh allen owner and he held him through all of this time so if you go and you again this is prior right pr just prior to week eight you look at his week six and week seven performance actually i think five i think he had three bad weeks in there it was not good and then weeks, I think it only took one of those games for the league chat to blow up again with some of those guys saying, I told you so. I told you Josh Allen was fake and it wasn't a real deal and it had to do with the schedule and all this. Well, my wife is from the Buffalo area. My wife's family are huge Buffalo fans. So we watched the Buffalo games also. Josh Allen was really fucking good. He really was. So I used all of those things to my advantage and said, hey, you know, Josh Allen, where are you at with him? You know, he's had a couple rough games. We, you know, do you think that's kind of the norm for him now? Or do you th expect him to kind of bounce back? He goes, I think he's going to bounce back, but I'd be willing to move him. I said, well, like as golf in a first about the same as Josh Allen. And he said, yeah, that's pretty close. It's like, okay, well, I'll send it and you think about it. So I sent him Jimmy G and Allen Robinson for Josh Allen and Mike Williams. He sat on it for a little while and accepted it. So I was able to move. And again, in hindsight, it worked out, right? Because Josh Allen had an excellent second half. In hindsight. Season. Well, I mean, if, if you think about it, in week eight, there were legitimate questions about which Josh Allen are we going to get the rest of the season? Are we going to get the first three weeks or the second three weeks of those the, the first half of the season? Okay, because so go, going into the NFL season in, in redraft leagues, especially one-quarterback leagues, yep. people start talking about streaming quarterbacks and wait on your quarterback and ben ba Big Ben is great at home and shit like that and line up the schedules and find an edge. Josh Allen was supposed to absolutely shred at least one through four, maybe one through five or six, maybe even seven, and then turn around and face – New England and Seattle and the Chargers, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, down the stretch, New England again, kind of struggle. So when he blew up in the first four weeks, it was discounted. Weeks five, six, seven, eight. Five, six, seven didn't have a rushing touchdown. That's kind of his, his big thing, right? And in yep. week eight, only throws 18 passes, completes 11 of them, gets a rushing touchdown, throws a pick, no passing touchdowns, 154 yards. If you remember the game against New England in week eight, the New England Patriots held the ball like that kid that plays Madden that you can't fucking stand because <laughs> you play five minute oh, quarters. Man. He's like, cool, I'm gonna kill 40, I'm gonna kill 39 seconds every play. So it's only an eight play game. That's what they were doing with Cam Newton and company. And it was working and it looked like they were gonna win until Cam fumbled. Right? If I recall this correctly, he fumbled on the game winning drive. Yep. Just absolutely dropped it. So Josh had a rough game. They threw off his rhythm. He's he's young. He's fairly inexperienced. This is this is year three. Weeks one, two, three, four, 28, 34, 32, 25. This dude is unbelievable. Unbelievable. If Dak Kilt Prescott wasn't a real thing, dude. If Dak Prescott wasn't doing what he real. was doing, this man would have been the QB one. But Dak was on pace for like 17,000 yards. He had, they were going to give him a share of the moon oh. as collateral so he would stay on earth because he was, he was otherworldly. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, five, six, seven, eight. Tennessee, 18. Kansas City, 16. These are prime matchups. New York Jets, this is his bounce back. 16. Plays New England, 13.46. 
only throws it 18 times, 11 completions and a pick. So the dip was so real. Now we know what Josh did to close out the season, but his schedule was supposed to get more difficult. Jimmy Garoppolo is supposed to be solid. Allen Robinson for Mike Williams. I don't give a damn who you are. That is A-Rob all day. But this is stealing. I cannot believe somebody gave up 25-year-old Josh Allen. See in the, I'll take the lows with the highs. There's a reason Russell Wilson always finishes where he finishes. I'll take the lows with the highs. But in, in context, coming off 18, 16, 16, 13, throwing the ball only 18 times for no touchdowns and a pick, that's how we got it done. Now, if the trade deadline isn't week eight, this shit doesn't happen. But this guy's trying to win a title. A-Rob gets it done for him. He doesn't really give a damn about his QB2, which is where Josh Allen is. A-Rob can get it done for him. Right? So that's fine for him. It's unbelievable. It's it's <laughs> it's unbelievable. Context is everything. It's, it's like, like I, That's why I added the conversation from earlier in the season in week two or three, and then the conversation again that happened in five or six. You have to pay attention to your league chat because if you don't, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to do stuff like this. You just yeah. have to pay attention. Yeah, his league created a narrative as well. Going into the season, they were like, yeah, he's going to be great for a minute. I got Lamar Jackson in a league because people said, see, this is who he really is in the beginning of the season. And I'm like, As he didn't have OTAs. He's still learning how to play the quarterback position. And there's a price point. Three first-round picks for a player is incredibly difficult. But if there, there's a price point where it drops to two, and and one of them's yours, or you can spread them out over multiple years, and you're looking at a guy with the lead upside, and you just, like, you got to push the button. You just don't understand that your league has created a narrative where everybody believes that that's his, that's his value, not his value on consensus. Nobody gives a fuck about consensus in 12-men leagues. It's you and 11 other people. So if eight of those 11 other people straight up don't want who you're selling, right? You're yep. looking at three-person market. And if they all say he's worth a third, you're stuck with him. I don't care if consensus says you can get a first and a second for Cooper Cup. If everybody in your league thinks Cooper Cup is a bum, yeah, you're that he's on your Good team. Luck. Good luck. So knowing the narratives created within the league as well as the dynasty community, because a lot of leagues, everybody has one. It's like this Spider-Man. Everybody gets one from Family Guy with Peter Griffin where he saves his life. Peter goes, thanks, Spider-Man. He goes, everybody gets one. Okay, I feel like there's everybody. Every league has one. Everybody, Every league has one Odell Beckham truther. Every league has one Joe Mixon truther. Every league has one Tyler Lockett truther. There's one in every league. Man, I'm and like every, every one of those. Every league, there's <laughs> one guy that thinks Taysom's going to start, and there's one guy that thinks Jameis is going to start. That might be a stretch, but every league there is one guy. You got to find the one guy. But if you only have a one man market, good luck, man. So he played the narrative. Uh, he took these fabulous moves. Let me recap them real quick before we get we get them close to getting out of here. Jarvis for Odell after week one for upside. Chubb and Cut for Miles and Debo to get youth because he knew he was a little bit out. Cousins in a very late first for Baker, who grades out as a QB three according to PFF, at that point forward. Then moves Miles uh, with the shaky news of Carson Wentz and Mike Kosicki for Mark Andrews and J.K. Dobbins. All he has to do to get that done is swap Hollywood for Preston. Hollywood all day, but it's wild card for wild card. Moves on to Debo and Deontay for Swift in the mid-first. 
KJ Hill's on his side, JD McKissick's on the other side, but it's really Debo and Deontay for Swift in a mid first. That's crazy to me. Debo coming off an injury, not lighting the world on fire for a first. Deontay for Swift because he had that 9% snap share. And Adrian Peterson was getting all the carries. Played the narrative. 0-6 through week six. Moves Darnold, JK that he just got. He got Miles, then he got JK. Darnold, JK, and David Johnson for Jimmy G. Hollywood and Cam Akers swaps J.K. Dobbins for his love joy Cam, swaps Darnold for Jimmy G. If you're going to get old at a position, it's the quarterback position. Then he gets young because he he swaps David Johnson for Hollywood Brown to get him back. Another thing you need to pay attention to is making a lot of these trades with the same guys. Create those relationships. So he's got Odell, who freaks out against Pittsburgh. He doesn't like that. He moves Odell, Andrews, and one of those first. For Kenny, Waller, and a second. Andrews for Waller, Odell for Kenny. You win both of those. A first to a second seems like a nice trade. In hindsight, perhaps not, as that first was the 105. Turns around, and he moves pretty much a two-for-one. Stafford for Derek Carr and T. Higgins. He throws in Preston Williams, so it's a two-for-two. But it's really Stafford for Derek Carr, who finished higher, at T. Higgins. T. Higgins, who has elite upside. Moves Geo for Vaughn for youth. It's a little side piece. Gets Jimmy G and Allen Robinson for Josh Allen and Mike Williams right before the trade deadline. Okay, he makes three more trades. We'll recoup where his roster was, where his roster is. Um, and then I think we're going to have to take a break and make this two shows. I think we're yeah, going to have to. We'll make it two shows because you don't want to skip anything when you're breaking this down. This is so tough to follow if you don't have a pen and a paper. It's not somebody telling you, you know, who to buy and why and contracts and stats and analytics. It's taking the theory we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks and, and watching it play out. A lot of these moves I don't even like that he does, especially after the season. In season, Bradley Stickler is slaughtering fools. He is slaughtering fools because he's selling people on a title. In the postseason, uh, in the offseason, it looks like he's going to try and win a title. But all right, man. So you moved Jimmy G, Allen Robinson for Josh Allen Plus, and then you make one of the blunders of your career. This is, uh, yeah, like I even try to go back and find – some narrative that swings this in my direction and it's just not there. I moved Darren Waller uh, for Hayden Hurst. No, Darren Waller and Hayden Hurst and Ingram. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. I can't read. No, yeah. I moved Darren Waller for Hayden Hurst, Evan Ingram, and 221 seconds. Yes, Hayden Hurst was having a really good first half of the season up to this point. Uh, he was averaging like seven targets Dude. a game. Stop. I, I, I don't. I do love Evan Ingram. Don't get me wrong. He's he's. I'm way higher than most on Evan Ingram, but this is just nonsense. Maddie, you you got me good on this one, man. You you schmoozed me. You took me out to dinner. You you bought me a nice little lobster tail. And why, you know, got me all liquored up on some bourbon and then took advantage of me 
with Darren Waller for Hayden Hurst and Evan Ingram. Uh, but I, you know, I, I can't defend it. And I think we should just move on. <laughs> if you have a bunch of assets and you look at a guy trying to gain raising assets, you move all of those for his. So Brad gets younger at tight end. He does. Mac is up two seconds in 2021. Seconds are great. Seconds are awesome. You want to acquire them. This is why. And two tight ends. Two seconds and two tight ends for somebody that you can play every single week and feel good about it. Your next move, I don't really understand either, though you loved it. There's still, he moves Josh Allen. He got him for free. There's still this narrative around Josh Allen that he may not be able to sustain his career. This is not a narrative in the career, in, in the league anymore or consensus. This is Bradley Stickler. This is what he believes uh, Josh Allen could fall fall to earth and he moves Josh for Dak and a 2021 second. So he has acquired three 2021 seconds. It looks like you were just in a pick frenzy at this point. Yeah, I was, uh, I definitely. And I was a Josh, like if you go back and listen to our pod from like week two or three, I believed in everything that I saw from Josh Allen in those first few weeks. Uh, and I defended it then and I'll defend it again now. But to me, selling players at peak value is huge the efficiency jump that he did that he took was astronomical so i looked at it and said okay i i want to try to get out while i can but i don't want to lose a bunch of value so i'm going to take a little bit of a risk here because i think Dak prescott is phenomenal i think he's set up to just light the world on fire this year all of his wide receivers we knew were coming back. We knew Zeke was still going to be there. They had to do something to address the offensive line. Everybody's got their contract in place. He's going to come in and just be ready to roll. And thank God I got at the report that he is at. He's, he's ready for training camp. He's not missing any time. He's coming in, guns a-blazing, ready to go. So I was willing to make take that little bit of risk with that ankle with Dak Prescott and count on him to come in and do what we saw Josh Allen do, or even what Dak Prescott did the first five weeks of the season before he went down. I think this is the classic case of wanting to sell high at peak value and not getting peak value because Josh Allen is the QB one. Dak Prescott was on a tear and he's always top 10. You're getting security there. You're right. Which offense do you want to buy into Dak with, with the Cowboys in that division or Josh Allen with the Bills in that division. I, I think I'm team Dak, but at the, a second is not enough to get me off. You want to come by the number one overall quarterback, I'm going to charge you more. The way Brad sees it is he's not in it this year anyways. He'd rather have Dak moving forward. He goes and gets his guy, right? Players' values change a lot. Now, I do have a question. After the Jimmy G, it says you did this right prior to the to the Week 8 tread down trade deadline the darren waller deal the josh allen deal and the next deal is this all, all this week eight before the, this is all before the trade deadline. man you made some moves in this I week it's so ass. tough to do it's uh so that might be part of it too because when you stir up the dust uh, i've talked about it before i've written about it kicking up the dust is crucial because now you can gain information where people are being candid you make a trade somebody says that's fucking dog shit you know, you absolutely ass raped him immediately. I should take that out. 
Kicking up the dust is crucial. You make a trade, somebody sees it and goes, that is dog shit, okay? You absolutely won that by a mile. You can circle to that guy and go, did I? Did I get too much value? Well, come buy him then. I won't even charge you, quote unquote, full price, all right? So you get you get information when people are complaining because they're being candid much more than when you go, hey, dude, do you like yada yada? They're not going to be honest. Like he's all right, but his situation's weird. You know, my player's a god, your player's just a peasant. But if you want to kick in three first, I think we can get this done. So he gains information and moves Josh Allen for Dak Prescott and a second. Um, betting on that offense, dude. Right? And then the last move here. Yeah, it's it's good, I guess. You move DeAndre Swift and Colin Johnson. Now, if people remember, Colin Johnson had a couple pop games. He did. You know he's just a fill-in, just like when he moved Preston Williams. Like, dude, this guy is a is a he's a six foot five phenom. It's gonna pop a little bit. You're never gonna plug him in your lineup. I think you got something good. Yep. Maybe a DFS play, maybe a giant tournament play. Uh, definitely a best ball guy. But this is a season long, so he moves DeAndre Swift essentially straight up for a 21 first that was projected to be very high. Now they do a a lottery, but it was projected to not make the playoffs, so he gets a shot at the one on one. And Debo Samuel, who comes back home. Debo did have some nice games. When he was on the field, he produced, especially for fantasy. So Swift for a top six pick and Debo Samuel in the 2021 class. We can debate that till the, till the cows come home. Um, but I think as you see the Detroit Lions season play out, the offseason play out, because now we can we can peek behind the curtain. We could fast forward a little bit. Stafford's gone. Golf is in town. They have almost no wide receivers. It's just him and TJ. As much as we expect him to get 30% of that offense, 30% of the offense in Detroit in the next season is not the same as 30% for Kansas City or 30% for Buffalo or 30% for Baltimore or even 30% for like the Bengals or the Falcons. It's just not going to be. And when the defense can key in on one guy, it's a tough spot. Now that pick turned out to be the 102. So would you trade DeAndre Swift for Najee Harris and Debo Samuel? DeAndre Swift for Justin Fields and Debo Samuel. Yes, you would. DeAndre Swift for a top six pick and Debo Samuel. No, I say no. But when you actually put names to the pick, yeah. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I think I would take my free player, right, Brad? Yeah, so this is where it gets really interesting, and people might call me a hypocrite, right? So it's funny because this, this particular first turned into the 102. Right. So it DeAndre Swift for the 102 and Debo Samuel. I moved DeAndre Swift for the 102 and Debo in another league, separate dynasty. I gave the 102 up and got DeAndre Swift and a third. So that just shows you the difference in value based on time period. Right. So it's, it's more expensive to get those picks in the draft or right before the draft or coming up to the draft than it is to get those picks during the season sometime, right? So people talk about those peaks and valleys of draft picks and players and when things change value, pay attention to that because it's a real thing. And this is kind of a, a perfect example because it, it included the 102 and Debo in two separate leagues. The 102 and Swift in two separate leagues. Right, two I'm thi- sorry. Yeah, the 102 and Swift. Yeah. Two things. One, it depends on your roster because at this point, you don't have a team. 
you have a shit ton of picks and Debo is a free piece. Okay. So it makes more sense for this team. If you think Swift is that running back that has enough of a floor and high enough ceiling to win you a ship or at least keep you in it, then it makes sense for that team. And this team, it doesn't make sense. Right. That's why you took the pick. Also, yep. secondly, even if it's in the same league, even if you did the same trade with the same person, Debo for a third, I will take Debo all day. So either way, I think your values are pretty accurate. I don't think anybody's going to call you too much of a hypocrite. The roster construction matters. Let's yep. break this down. Okay. There was a shit ton of trades. I hope you followed along. We will finish up his offseason moves and where the team is today on the next episode. That'll be dropping on Tuesday. This one comes out on Friday, um, the previous week. So he starts with Stafford, Cousins, Darnold. Nick Chubb, David Johnson, and a bunch of fodder. Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, Deontay Johnson, Hollywood, Landry, and Gage, and Brian Edwards. At tight end, he's got Kisicki, Jarwin with all the hype, and for whatever reason, Drew Sample. Okay? And coming off of the season where he started 0-6, man, he's acquired and traded away a shit ton of pieces. Again, it was Stafford, Right? It was Cousins. It was Darnold. It turns into Prescott, Mayfield, Carr. That feels like an upgrade. It was Chubb, David Johnson, and Fodder. Turns into Cam Akers and And a bunch of the same fodder. And basically the same fodder, but with the same top five picks, right? He's got five first round picks. At wide receiver, it went from Allen Robinson. Deontay Johnson, Cooper Cup, Jarvis Landry turns into T. Higgins. Hollywood comes back home. Russell Gage stays. So T. Higgins, Galladay, Debo, Mike Williams. Everybody else kind of stays. So yep. that, that breaks down to me in, in my head, right? Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, yep. Cooper Those Cup, and Landry. Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, Cooper Cup, and Landry for T. Higgins, Kenny Galladay, Debo Samuel, and Mike Williams. Tight end, swear to God he had Waller, but he ends up with Jarwin, Evan Ingram, and Hayden Hurst. Now, he came in with five firsts in the season and has clearly downgraded at wide receiver. He's kept it, but he's gotten younger. He's kept it pretty solid at running back, about the same. Chubb for Cam Akers. But he upgraded the quarterback from Stafford Cousins and Darnold to Prescott, Mayfield, and Carr by pretty substantially. Tight end's about the same. He still has those five first, though he moved them and acquired them back. Four of them are top five. One of them is bottom. Four of them are top six. One of them is bottom six. The way his league goes down, if you make the playoffs, all of those guys go into a lottery. Clearly, the team that finished, you know, that won the title has the lowest chance of getting picks seven through 12. The guy that came in last place has the highest chance of getting picks one when it's one through six. Um, but so he knows he has four in the top six and one in the bottom six. He's got three, four seconds. Uh, his lottery is just after the Super Bowl, and we will try and pick this up again next time, dropping on Monday <laughs> to give you a recap so he can finish his offseason moves, describe his love joy. Uh, then we'll get back into a little bit of theory where I can break down specific times of year, what to attack what to break down as far as player evaluation right now in July, heading into August. And then, yeah, man, we'll see you guys. I think that'll lead us right into the expo. We will see you in Canton, Ohio, August 14th and 15th. The 14th is the pre-show party. The 15th is the expo itself. Tickets on sale at thefantasyfootballexpo.com. 
25 bucks gets you in the door, gives you about $180 worth of swag and discounts and all sorts of crap like that. Things that you want to turn your dynasty league around. 20 more bucks gets you a wristband to meet us at Jerseys, J-E-R-Z-E-E-S, uh, right there in Canton, about two and a half miles away from the hotel. We'll have shuttles taking you back uh, back to the hotel, so you won't have to worry about that. First one's on us, drink specials all night. Going to be one hell of a time, man. One hell of a time. I cannot oh, wait. Yeah. I cannot wait. Brian oh, is officially yeah. going. Matt will be there. I'll be there. Brad will be there. It looks like Sammy. Uh, Andy might make it. I know that Quinn says he's in. We're gonna have we're gonna have a hell of a time. We'll try not to wreck too many hotel rooms. Fantasy uh-huh. Affarians know how to throw a party. And we are gonna prove that August 14th at Jersey's in Canton, Ohio. Brad, do you got any closing thoughts for us? No, man, I'm I'm excited. I'm ready for the the expo. Uh, check it out on Twitter also at the FF Expo. Uh, there's notes and information dropping constantly. Uh, we thank Bob Lung for the opportunity to to be a part of the party and like i said make sure you check it out if you don't know anything about it or you didn't make plans to go this year think about it next year right this is the third year we're doing it and it's just going to continue to grow and like i said bob lung's done an awesome job with it so uh, at ff bourbon dude on twitter and i'm ready to talk what this team looks like now next week that's gonna be fantastic you can find all of our work at www.fffaffair.com. You can find the pod's main uh, Twitter at Fantasy Affair FF, or just type in Fantasy Affair Football Podcast. It's it, that's where you'll find most of our updates on the party. You'll see all our articles dropping. You can find me personally at Eric Perkholder Six again, fffaffair.com for all of our articles. We got them dropping almost daily. And be sure to to go to thefantasyfootballexpo.com and reserve your tickets for the Fantasy Football Expo, which is going to have just everything you need and that you want in your life. Canton, Ohio, August 14th and 15th. Thank you guys for listening. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe, all that good stuff. Cheers, guys. talking about i don't know at this point. all right oh. all right stop what is up my fantasy affairians it's burke hill welcoming you into a second try of that intro i just wanted to welcome you into the welcoming it's a big welcome party ow now brown cow you know mommy made me, mommy made me eat my m&ms that doesn't seem like a hard thing to say
mommy eat made me eat my m&ms like my mouth is just going like that you go ow now brown cow so you open your mouth same thing. And M closes. Mommy made me. <laughs> no, M, M makes you close your mouth because it's an mmm sound. The yeah, o, you cycle your mouth. Ma, that's, ah, what had, me. That's, that's what First they had all, us do in chorus. What kind of, what are you, 35? What kind of man says mommy? Mommy made me make my, mommy made me eat my, mommy made me make my M&Ms? <laughs> no, I can't makes remember. Sense. No, I can't remember. Mommy beat my ass for calling her mommy. <laughs> <laughs> all right huh. how do i start this <laughs> how do i normally do it <laughs> i can't remember can we listen to our pod real quick all right all right be quiet be quiet i'll figure it out i'll get it see how i segue that shit i'm a professional <laughs> remember that that was so great Brit. Oh man! See, I got that, and I was uh, listening to the pod. I was like, I don't even think he segued anything. I didn't even understand it, but I was laughing yeah. so hard I couldn't. <laughs> You're like, well, I missed it because I was crying, laughing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I can hear my kid now. Yep. 